I'm Steve Hambrick. I'm the pastor here at Vintage, and uh, I'm glad that you were here. This is your first time to Vintage. Welcome. We, uh, we actually, guys, I'm not sure you know this, but Randall reminded me that Thursday is our three-year anniversary of Vintage 242. How exciting is that? How many of you have been here, you would say, from like day one? Anybody? Who, yeah, that's awesome, right? See, they didn't, they didn't all leave. This is great. Remember? That's always a fear, man. Church planning is starting to run off. So anyway, hey, sorry you've been stuck with this all that long, right, for three years. No, seriously, it's exciting times and and uh, coming up on uh, three years on Thursday. And so uh, it's good. It's good times. And we're, you know, it's one of those things that um, I would say, I would say that for those of you who've been here for me, and even if you've just been here for a week, you know, uh, I'm a huge, I love just being able to tell the stories of God, right? There's nothing that's more enjoyable in life than telling stories of God. I mean, we're, we're naturally prone to tell stories about ourselves, right? But I love telling stories about God. So I'd encourage you just this week to, to maybe take some, take a moment and sit back and think about what God's done. Maybe, uh, in your life and you're during your time at Vintage and, and, and so next week, I don't know, let's, maybe we'll take some time next week because we have the ability to do that, um, because I'm in charge here. Let's take some time next week and just tell those stories, okay? So prepare your story. Now listen, now just for the sake of other people, okay, we're not asking for your 30 minute stories. How many of you have been a part of churches who wish people just shut up when they've been telling stories, right? Don't say that about me, but you know, but it's one of those things, seriously, just come and get it and just prepare yourself, tell me just a couple minute story of, of what God's done, whether it's just in the season of life of being here, about something God's done at Vintage, whatever it may be, and let's just come next week and tell God's story. Tell God's story at Vintage, and let's just brag on him for a little bit and talk about how great he is and all that kind of stuff, and so come prepared next week for that, and it'll be fun. All right. Uh, this is a reminder before we send down our baskets for our offering this morning. Uh, next next Saturday, this coming Saturday, is our Crown Financial Seminar. Okay, I want to encourage all of you uh, to be here for that. Let's go ahead and pull that up, up Eddie, on the, on the slide up, just so we can have, see a picture of it again. Yeah, we have this coming Saturday, nine to four, and you can see the packages down here for payment. Basically, I just want you to know Vintage will be a couple thousand dollars in the hole for this, and so we're not making any money on this. It does take something that we basically want people to invest into this thing that they're doing, and we believe this. We believe that no matter where you are in life, that there are things that you need to learn about the economy of God, right? The, thing, that, the way that he views money. There are lots of churches that preach things about money that are just false and inaccurate, right? And, and, there are, and, and we want to come together and say, listen, we want to give you a biblical perspective about how to view finances, how to handle finances. And let me just say this. I'm not trying to go apocalyptic on us, but... But you recognize that the world in which we're living in, the economy is is, is struggling, right? Uh, if you follow AAA ratings, AA rating, we went from a AAA rating as a country to a AA rating, which is just not good, right? There are all sorts of countries that are going from AAA to AA, which is not good, which means that our economy is really suffering and struggling. And as we, you know, I was talking to an investor the other day, and he said, Steve, he said, our our market right now is 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 going up and down based on hope. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, he said literally, he said, one, he said, yesterday I was watching the market and this rumor came out that something may happen and the market went up. He said, that's never happened in the history of the market. He said that literally by one person speaking a rumor that raised the level of hope, he said it went up. He said, it's not even based on facts. 
And his whole point was just simply saying we're in a, in a season that we've never been in as a country and really because of the nature of us being so intertwined, a place we've never been as a world economically. And we believe as, as followers of Jesus that that if America and the world and the church would simply embrace biblical principles of finances, we would be okay, right? That when God speaks about this, even all the way back to Deuteronomy, right, and this, uh, that the year of Jubilee and canceling debts, God's speaking about an understanding of the people of God and, and finances, understanding finances, that, that I believe if we had simply practiced the practices and the, the this concepts of God from day one, we would be okay. And so what I want to say to all of us is this, the world is at a place where they're looking for help and they're struggling. What I would love for you to be able to do, and this is kind of just part of the investment we're making in this, is we would love for you to be able to tell the story of God, your story of how God redeems your finances and the way that he moves and the money that you have. And what I would say just in the, in, the, in the beginning that we take up our offering at Vintage and, you know, and we say this is simply an extension of worship, right? It's God has blessed you. And the idea is all the way back to just to Genesis is that God blesses us. This is the Abrahamic covenant, right? That, that God blesses us so that we can be a blessing to the world. And yeah, that represents, yes, just the things that we have. But it also primarily involves our finances, that we're being faithful to give. So what I would say to you is simply this. Just as kind of this foreshadowing of what we talk about in this, in this financial seminar, that God is looking for people, and this is because all the way back to, to Genesis, God is looking for a people who with every resource that they have, they just love with a joyful heart to give it away. Love just giving away what God has entrusted into them. And so what I would say to you this morning is that the beginning of being a, a person who engages the heart of God as it relates to finances is that you are faithful to give cheerfully to all who have need. And I don't, if you give to Vintage, fantastic. If you give to another church because they have greater need, fantastic. If you give to a, a, a to your neighbor because they have need, fantastic. If you give to, to a, someone across the ocean because it's the passion of your heart, fantastic. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how you're supposed to give. That's you between you and God. But all I'm saying is this, as it relates to our financial seminar, we have to be a people who are able to tell God's story is our story as it relates to finances. And I would say that it begins by being a people who say, God, here is everything I own and possess. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you. It doesn't belong to me. It belongs to you, and I'm going to be obedient to you when I'm going through hell with no money or I'm living high on the hog with lots of it. Reality is, no matter where I am, it all still belongs to you, okay? And so with that, some of you this morning, God's just calling you to be obedient, right? And so you figure out what that looks like for you, but as you come to this financial seminar next Saturday, God will begin to shape some of that and give you some biblical principles. All right, so pass your offering basket down this morning for just as an extension of worship. If you fill out a Connect card as a first-time guest, don't give any money just unless God calls you to, but just give us a Connect card. It would be great this morning and uh, fantastic. If you are someone who has received fi- uh, financial help from Vintage in the past, I want to encourage you specifically to be here next Saturday. If you need help 
financially, saying, I can't even afford the 20 bucks or whatever it is. You let us know there are scholarships available. We just want you to be here next Saturday. Okay. Well, listen, let's jump in. If you were here last week, you know that we talked about, uh, we talked about being overcomers. You remember that? We looked at uh, scripture and talked about this idea of being overcomers. So let's do this this morning. I want you to humor me, okay? I know this is so uncomfortable. You hate doing this. But I want you to repeat after me. Is everybody ready? I am an overcomer. Say it again. I am an overcomer. All right. I know that's so cheesy. You're like, oh, my gosh, I hate when people pastors make us do that. But here's the reality this morning. We looked last week at first John chapter five, verse four and five that said this for everyone born of God who knows God is in relationship with Jesus, turned everything over to him, has overcome or excuse me, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he or she who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And so John lives in this deep conviction. The writer of John writes and lives in this deep conviction. Listen, that everyone who's in relationship with God, that knows God in relationship with Jesus, who's been born again, every single one of these people, by the fact of being a follower of Jesus, they already, past tense, have become overcomers, right? And we said last week that the the person who knows this best is the enemy that oppresses us from outside. We look at the story of Ezra, right? Ezra chapter 3 is the people of God came back into Jerusalem. It says as they came back and began to rebuild the altar, to rebuild the temple, it says the enemy around them began to oppress them and to come against them. And we said last week that the reality for overcomers is this. You can't be, listen, you can't be an overcomer unless you have something you have to overcome, right? Literally, you're coming over an obstacle, something that's in front of you, right? And so if we're a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're going to face an unbelievable number of obstacles and a high level of oppression in your life. Why? We said because there's a real authentic enemy out there who hates you. And he hates you and he's scared of you all at the same time. Because he already knows who you are. When he sees you and sees Jesus, he's like, dang it, there's an overcomer. He already knows it, right? And so when you begin to speak it, and let's just be honest. I mean, Billy Sparks, I, mean, you, I don't even know if you obeyed me in that, right? Did you, did you say it out loud? Yes, there you go. He's a car salesman, right? So, so yes, he's just telling me the truth. Sorry, man, calling you out. So anyway, we get this whole dynamic going down, right? And, and he speaks that. But let's be honest. I mean, Billy, if he says it out loud, the whole time he's probably sitting there going, oh, I'm going to say it, but I'm not sure I believe it. Why? Because when you say I'm an overcomer, automatically you begin thinking about everything in your life that makes you not feel like an overcomer. I mean, you literally start thinking about, and you're like, I am an overcomer. Just kidding, right? You're just like this whole qualifying thing. I was yesterday, but not today, whatever it may be, right? But you know what I'm getting at? There's this whole dynamic because all of us are struggling and wrestling. But the thing I love about, about First John, about John writing this, is he's writing to people because he knows that struggle. He's speaking to people just like us who are wrestling in our own tension of life, who are wrestling with our own obstacles and our own oppression, 
who were wrestling with the enemy coming on all sides. When we said from Ezra last week, there were literally people for over 30 years, their full-time job, say from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., was to work as lobbyists to the king to come against those who were rebuilding the temple. For a long time, people literally, their enemy, because those people in the outskirts feared them trying to produce fear in them. And so for us, we live our lives and we are as followers of Jesus overcomers, but you can't be an overcomer unless there's something you've overcome that you're literally coming over an oppressor, an obstacle that you're literally dealing with and having to, to conquer in your life of sorts. And the reality is that we're facing an enemy who is real. Scripture talks about it. Names and the one who comes and prowls about like a roaring lion seeking to devour us. Literally, we're facing an enemy every day of our life. And so when John comes and speaks into the moment, he's, he's coming and speaking to this. And so when he comes, it says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. Well, I would say this morning is probably important for us to figure out who the world is or what the world is. What exactly is John talking about in context here in 1 John chapter 5? What did he mean by the world? Or this in the, in the victory, we celebrate victory. How did we have victory? By our faith. What does that mean? How do, what, what does it mean to have faith, right? Who is the one who overcomes the world? It's the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So, we're going to look at that this morning. Name some of these things and begin talking through it, right? And we're going to face this tension that all of us feel about being overcomers. Why? Because if we're honest, it's really hard. Like, if, you, if I ask you to do this, I think it'd be hard to stand up every day in your bed at your house with the fan off because you don't want to chop your head off, right? But to stand up in your bed, the first thing you do every day is stand right up and go, I am an overcomer by God's grace. If you did it every day, you would have a really hard time doing it. One, because you're tired in the morning, but two, because it'd be really hard to believe it and to live in that conviction. And so this morning, let's kind of take a look at some of those things. All right. So, 1 John, we're going to skip back to 1 John chapter 2. Specifically, going to focus on verses 15 and 16 and look at a few other verses between here and there. But 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 16. Now, what you want to, first thing I want you to do is this. I want you to recognize who the letter's being written to, who John is appealing to. Now, let me ask you this question. If you, if you're walking down to your mailbox and you look down the ground and there's a piece of mail sitting on the ground, what's the first thing you do? You pick it up and you look to see whose name is on the piece of mail, right? You, you pick, you're like, Okay, it's my name, not mailman. I can't believe he did that, right? Drop my mail. This is a check, whatever it is, whatever. It's like, but seriously, you look at that and like, oh, that's my name. So when, say, Bible teaching 101, right? Bible reading 101. The first thing that you do when you go to read the Bible is you look and see who it's being written to. That's going to tell you a lot about what the person's thinking, okay? What the writer's thinking. So we see here in John chapter 2, verse 12 and 14, who his, who the recipients of his letter is, and simply, I'm not going to read it, but it's like, it says, children, fathers, and young men, okay? Children, fathers, and young men who have been forgiven, who have known Jesus from the beginning, and who have overcome the evil one, these are his recipients. So what we're getting at is simply this. When John's writing this letter, he's talking about, he's writing to children, to fathers, and to young men. 
What I want you to see in the context is simply this. John is writing his letter to the entire community of faith. Women, I'm sorry, but back in the day, letters weren't directed towards women. They were directed towards men. And so what we see here is he's, is, is John specifically naming, calling out and naming all these people, basically recognizing this is the full gamut of who people are in this community of faith that he's writing to. So what we get at is this. He's writing to everyone. He pick, we, they pick it up and said, oh, this is to all of us. Let's read it together, everyone, right, as we gather together. So there are all the recipients here, everyone together in the community of faith. He's speaking, listen, so what that means is this. He's speaking to everyone. So when everyone hears the letter being read out loud, they know it's for them, which means it's for us. Verse 15, do not love the world or anything in the world. Do not love the world or anything in the world. And then verse 16 goes on to describe what he's talking about. For all that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, which is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boasting of what he has done, the boastful pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. So I'll read this all again. Do not love the world or anything on the world, for all that is in the world, the cravings of sinful man, the lust of his eyes, and the boasting of what he has and does, comes not from the Father, but from the world. Now, this is important for us to understand this idea of world because we've known, we've read before most, one of the famous, most famous verses of all the scriptures that God, for, he, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, right? Who should believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life with him. But I want you to recognize that the, the, the comparison here, these are two different contexts of the world. And in John 3.16, Jesus is speaking about that, that world that he has created that ultimately points to God. The beauty of the world that we live in, right? All of creation that's pointing to Jesus. All of humanity whom, whom God loves, right? I think about this, you know, for me, it's like sitting on a lake in a boat with the fog coming up with a rod in hand, watching the sun come over the horizon with about five fish already in the boat, you know, I'm saying it's like this is what I think of when I think of like the the beauty of the world this this part that points in the world that points to Jesus but there's also a, a contrast to this the world that John's speaking about here which is kind of the idea the understanding the cosmos the part of the world that lives in opposition to God this, this enemy who lives opposed to, 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 to God to the will of God and to the people of God this part of the world that lives opposed to God, to the will of God, and to the, to the people of God. There's literally this opposition. So we recognize, we saw it in Ezra, this enemy who was surrounding them. This enemy who was surrounding them. This is the enemy. These are the bad guys. So the con- And you all get this, right, from your life, that in the world in which you live, there, is a, there are Obstacles and opposition every day, things that, that we face, isn't there? You're not immune to this, you recognize this. But, and I want you to recognize that this opposition between the good guys and the bad guys, basically, movies create this image of, of good versus evil being equal. I think Star Wars is a prime example. You've got the Force, right? You got the dark side and the good side. But in, in Star Wars, it's like the, the dark side is almost seemingly stronger than the good side. It's always a great tension. It's just a great lie. Because in the reality of who God is, God is superior as creator versus created. 
And so when we live, there's this complete understanding of this. It's a, this dichotomy of good, good versus little evil, right? It's a real authentic oppression that we face, but there's, there's a great distance between them. And so John is coming and speaking about this world, the world in which we live, this, this part that lives a, opposed to the God, right? That lives in enmity or hatred towards God. It's the, the source of the, of the, it has its source as the enemy of God. And he goes on and begins to speak about it. And he begins to name this, this world in which we live. The first thing he says is this world is defined by the cravings of sinful man. The cravings of sinful man or the, the lust of the flesh. This is, this is the desire to do something apart from the will of God. The desire to do something apart from the will of God. Have you ever, have you ever felt that like burning inside of you? Like you know you shouldn't go this way, but it's like everything inside of you is like urging you and causing you to move. Like, oh, right. When Paul says the things I want to do, I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, those are the things I'm going to do. Oh my God, who's going to save me from this wretched man that I am? Right? This is the, the, the cravings of sinful man. All of us are unaware are aware of this, right? This self-orientated view of life. This, this, that cares ultimately about self and self-preservation and self-gratification and, and selfish desires. Listen, I know when we talk about this, you all may start thinking about sex, right? I'm not talking, that, that's a part of the equation, but it's not just that. Think about it in life, this, all these desires that we have to, to engage something that we know does not please God. Climbing the corporate ladder and stepping on people to get to a place of, of high, a high level, that's the same thing. This burning inside of me to be number one, to be on top, right? To, to be the best and to, and to walk with people to get there. Some of that is this craving a sinful man. I want to be the best. I don't care how to walk on to get there. We see the number two, the lust of the eyes. This is the desire to have something apart from the will of God. The desire to have something apart from the will of God. Now, obviously, again, this comes for first specifically to, to, to sexual lust, but it also means anything that entices the eye and can move our focus away from Jesus and move our focus from the call of Jesus. Anything that entices us and draws us away. How many of you men have ever been sitting in a conversation, right, and there's a TV on in the room? And all you're focused on your wife. I'm focused on my wife. I'm not going to focus on some other woman. That'd be strange, right? I'm going to focus on my wife. I'm looking back here. It's like, oh, I can look at Mel anyway. So focus right here on my wife. That'd be odd, right? So I'm looking at my wife. I'm listening to her talking to her. We're having a conversation. She's going really in depth with me. And all of a sudden, this car pops onto the screen on television. I'm like, like this. And she's like, and she goes, what are you, what are you looking at? That ever happened to you guys? What are you looking at? I'm like, ah, nothing, <laughs> right? Because I'm just enticed by this, this thing over here, the nice, bright, shiny car on television, right? It made me think when I, when I was thinking about the lust of the eyes and the desire to have something apart from the will of God, this shiny thing I was thinking about, remember back in like, I don't know how old you were when you read this book, but how you ever remember the, where the book Where the Red Fern Grows? Did you ever read that, Where the Red Fern Grows? Okay. I, I don't, I, this, this had a lasting impact, and I may completely butcher this story, but this is a, at least how my memory has, uh, has remembered the story. In the book, 
they were trying, they were raising up coon dogs, right? Raising up coon dogs to go hunt raccoons. And, and the only way you could train a coon dog to go out to raccoons is to be able to smell a raccoon, right? You gotta be able to make that smell, but you can't teach them to follow a, find a raccoon unless they know what it smells like. And so you, I mean, you can't get them to go after a raccoon unless they know it. So they, they talk in the book, how do we get a raccoon? They said, well, you do this. You find a little, find something shiny. They're, Raccoons are drawn to shiny things. This is just in the book, right? And I remember this. It's like, because it was so vivid. It was, it said, you, you put this shiny thing like in a little bitty hole, like in a tree or something. This is just, just big enough for them to get their hands in like this, right? But as soon as they grab hold of the shiny thing, they close their fist up. And you know that when you put your, you know, put your hand in like this, you can get it in. But as soon as you create a fist, you, you can't really get it out. Instead, that, that raccoon is so enamored by the shiny thing that they'll literally sit there and hold this shiny thing in their fist and will not let go until either they die or someone comes and kills them. And in the book, they went and killed them. I was like, oh my gosh, right? But it's like this cute little raccoon, Rocky, right? But you get this whole thing going on, right? And it's just this whole dynamic of grabbing hold of this shiny thing because the lust of the eyes were drawn by this, this thing. We're drawn. Men, you know what it's like. Women, I mean, you know what it's like. How many of you women, how, you know, men and women have the same problem. They're both focused on other women. Women, how many of you, you look at a woman, all you can do... All, all they do is sit there and talk about, do you see what so-and-so was wearing? Oh my gosh, her hair looks so great. And you're so, like, I remember I was talking to her, and I was like, I was like, honey, I think you look great in that. She's like, but the other women might not think so, because they'll be checking me out, right? It's so odd. But we're sitting there, and we're enamored, we're seeing this thing. I mean, you know, I'm not lying, I'm telling the truth here, right? It's just, we are all, the lust of the eyes, we're drawn we're enticed by whatever it may be. And the third thing is the boasting of what we have done. The boasting of what we have done. This is the pride of life piece, the desire to be something apart from the will of God. This represents our identity, how we identify ourselves and the pursuit that we, we go on. That where we're clamoring to be known or we're clamoring to be seen. We're clamoring to 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 be popular or we're clamoring to to have power or to have something right so many people in this pursuit of wealth because it gives them it gives them something right it gives them this clout in the world in which they live right we live live it growing up in the south I mean, think about the people who are on the other side of the tracks and, right, you want to be over here and what you possess. And the, this is the competing with the Joneses. It's like, I mean, I forget, our, you know, in our neighborhood, like, somebody bought a boat. And I started hearing, like, five other people who were, like, thinking about buying boats who never thought about buying a boat. I'm like, why, right? This whole desire, boasting of what we've done and what we have. How many of you have ever sat in a conversation and you said something like this? Well, you know, yesterday I was talking to so-and-so. And it's like, and they go, Oh, right, because you want them to know who you know? Have you ever done that before? I mean, I've, I've done that. I've gone like on a five-minute blur about who I know and what they said to me the other day. And I'm like, <laughs> They're like, oh, my gosh, you're so great. You know so-and-so. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm pretty humble about it. But, you know, yeah, right, I am somebody, right? I mean, seriously, you know what I'm talking about? This is this boasting part of what we've done that we're trying to attain this place that maybe not may not be the will of God. 
I mean, I love this, 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 this story, I see this verse in, in Corinthians where Paul says, Let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. I mean, listen, we do this in the church. Well, I fasted for 21 days. Really, I went 40, right? Well, I spent about three hours in the Bible yesterday. Oh, my gosh, that's great. I spent like two. Oh, yeah, right? And there's this whole judgment going down. How about those people who just go on and on and pro, Lordeth, we blesseth you, right? This whole thing going on and on. There, forgive me. We've got a group at First Baptist Marietta. My mom says, I hate the prayer meetings, especially when he prays. I'm like, why? Because he just goes on and on and on and likes to hear himself speak so that everyone knows all the big words that he knows, right? We're so prone to do this we're so prone to it and it's part of the world the lust of the the lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what we have done and i think i could make an argument and i could be wrong i think i can make an argument that these define the nature of really every sin in our lives the way the enemy stirs, the way the enemy moves, the obstacle he presents before us with these lusts of our life, right? All of these represent the struggle that we face that we're against every day of our life. And what I would say is this, as we turn to the world and give in to these things, what happens is something simple. We basically give our love away to another lover. That's the idolatry you see again and again and again and again in the Old Testament. Following other lovers, giving our lives away to the things of the world and the people of the world and the thing, whatever it may be. And we live in this place. And Paul is, excuse me, John's coming in First John 5 and says, for everyone who is born of the world overcomes the world. The lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boasting of what we have done. This is what the world is. This is the opposition. This is what they're opposed to. This is this is the thing. This is the world. And those who overcome, overcome this. Here's what I want you to do this morning. I want you to focus on Jesus for a second. And I want you to name right now. We're going to take like a, like a 45 second of uncomfortable stillness in this room. And I want you to be before the Lord. And I want you to name In front of Jesus, I want you to name the things that we're talking about that are present in your life. Because they're all present in some place. And let's just be honest. We're all wasting everybody's time if you come this morning and never engage the actual area of obstacle and opposition the enemy's going to use in your life. So take 45 seconds before the Lord and name that for yourself. All right. So there's this real world, this real opposition. You've named it in your life. You've figured it out. You've come to that place, right? You've named it. There's a real enemy pushing with opposition, an obstacle in your life. This 
this issue, the, the world presenting itself. And so the question is, how do we overcome this world of the enemy? Back to chapter 5 of 1 John, verse 4. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory. This is the victory that's overcome the world, our faith. This is the victory. We celebrate. We're going to celebrate our victory. What are we celebrating? John, we're celebrating our faith. Our faith. Now, when we think about our faith, think about your faith, you know, sometimes we, I'm not sure if you ever sat down and really processed faith, but let's just be honest, right? Sometimes it can be a little bit hard to get our hands around. Someone says, well, how, how do you believe in Jesus? Well, I believe by faith. Well, what does that mean? Well, I don't really know. It just means that I believe, right? Kind of more of an intuitive thing where something we can explain. But like we, we think about faith and we think about this, the phrases, we had the faith of a mustard seed or without faith. It is impossible to please God or by grace through faith man is saved or God has given each of us a measure of faith or Romans faith is the substance of things hoped for the evidence of things not seen. And we begin to wrestle through all this we're like this seems kind of nebulous and difficult to get our get our hands around. But we have to begin to recognize that this faith though that that we're talking about that John is naming right here it's literally this faith that brings about victory. Over the world. Our faith is the thing that God uses to bring victory in our lives over the world and the issues that we face from the world. So, what we could say is this if we have faith, we express faith, we overcome and we win. If we don't express faith, well, we don't overcome and we lose. That's kind of the picture here. So, faith. Faith is taken from the, the Greek word pistis, P-I-S-T-I-S, right? And it's a synonym, it's a synonym meaning the same thing, right? A synonym for, for trust and belief. Trust and belief. And, and kind of walking through this, Wayne Gruden, he states that faith emphasizes a deep personal trust in Jesus and not just plain facts about him, right? It's not, faith represents a personal trust in Jesus and not just belief in facts, right? In fact, he believes that the word trust is a better word to use than faith or belief in our culture because in our culture, you can have belief as a mere apprehension of mental facts without actually having trust in it. We all get this, we all get this, right? You've heard this story before. The guy who's walking over the tightrope over Niagara Falls and he has this wheelbarrow. He says, how many of you out there think, how many of you think and believe that I can push this wheelbarrow across Niagara Falls? And we're like, yay, woo, you can do this. He said, all right, how many of you, how many of you believe me strong enough you're willing to get in this wheelbarrow and let me push you across? All right. The idea of being able to believe without putting trust in. And the picture is real simple that God's saying, listen, this trust that I'm talking about you having is literally in your tightrope type life. You're getting in the wheelbarrow and letting me push you everywhere that you're going and I'm going every day of your life. Don't just have this mental apprehension of facts about me. I want you to literally get in the wheelbarrow and let me push you. This is this understanding we're getting at here. So we go back to 1 John 5, 5. Says, we get a, a clearer picture then. It says this. Who is the one who overcomes the world? It's he or she who believes or who trusts 
that Jesus is the Son of God. The one who literally says, Jesus, I'm going to get in the wheelbarrow and let you push me in every area of my life, every day of my life. And let's be honest. Faith and trust is really easy when there are no obstacles or oppression in your life, isn't it? I mean, I have phenomenal faith and trust in God when everything's easy. My job's great. I like all of you. I got plenty of money to check in account and food on the table and a house over my, and a roof over my head. Family, I, mean, I got great faith in God, right? But how about when all of a sudden... Opposition comes. Obstacles present themselves in your life, and all of a sudden, you're like, "Oh God, take me back!" Right? I want to. I don't trust you anymore. Right? There's this tension that we struggle with, the wrestling that comes in the moment. Faith or this this trust that leads to victory as overcomers. It's a trust that we express every day of our life. So hear me on this. It was. Listen, this is very important. Trust was not for a moment of salvation. You didn't trust Jesus 30 years ago. You trust Jesus every day of your life. Why do you think it says work out your salvation with fear and trembling? Why? Because it's almost as if I'm getting saved every day, right? I'm being saved from myself. I'm being saved from the world. There's a real enemy pushing against me every day. I have to trust him, have faith in him, and believe him every day of my life. And so trust in Jesus was not a momentary, once instantaneous thing. It was a lifelong decision for every day to get into the wheelbarrow and let him push you. Back in the spring, and some of these youth were here, I did it both in junior high and senior high. I said, hey, we're going to do a trust fall, right? And so I, I said, I'm going to do it first. And so what you do is you get a person across from you, and, and you form this line, and you kind of create this bed for people, right? And you're going to fall into that bed. And so I got with the junior high. Now, senior high is a little bit more, I was a little bit more, you know, I, I, you know, I was a little bit more um, comfortable with it. I took the, the junior high. I said, guys, I'm going to, I'm going to show you how this is done. I got these little sixth grade girls, right? They're sitting there crossing one another, holding their hands out like this. And, 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 and I went, and I, we went over there to the coffee table, the little coffee bar, and I stood on top of the coffee bar. It seemed like a great idea when I was preparing this, right? <laughs> and I stood up on that coffee bar, which is a little bit higher than this, right? And I just stood there. I'm not going to turn around because I don't want to put my, my butt in your face, but it's like, I'm sitting there, and, I'll, and I'm literally sitting there, and they're all standing behind me. And it, I mean, listen, it seems like a long way down, right? And you're, I'm sitting there, and I'm like, like this. I'm looking back. I'm doing this. I'm like, Guys, you, you, you together? You good? You good? And they're like, yeah, yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> and so I'm sitting there. I said, okay. I'm like, I'm like ready. Are you all ready? I'm like, get ready. Okay, falling. And I go, falling. I just nesty plunge, right? Straight back, body stiff, and fell back into the sixth grade little girl's arms. Man, they were so excited. Like, oh my gosh, we did it. You're so fat, right? And like, he caught you, you know. And no, this is this great moment. It's like, and this trust. But let me tell you something. When I was, so when I was right here in my fall, right? When I was like, my body's like this, I was freaking out. I was like, stay stiff, don't bend, don't your butt go through. Oh, boom. Yeah. 
that, right? And then, and then, and then all of them did it, right? I should have signed a waiver. I apologize, right? But it's like, but we, they all did it. And we all caught them. And it was just a great moment, right? When we get to this place of trusting Jesus, that's what I'm saying every day looks like. What John said in 1 John 5 was simple. If you do the nest tea plunge every day into the arms of Jesus, that will be the victory that brings you to a place of overcoming. Every day, falling into the arms of Jesus because he's trustworthy. I get it. It is harder to do a nest tea plunge when the wind's blowing and people are coming against you. Opposition is arising. The enemy is stirring. And every day he's doing that. I get it, right? I understand how hard it is, right? That's the, I get it, right? Can you imagine the rain's coming down, the wind's blowing, the wire's going like this, thunder and lightning are coming, and you're holding up an umbrella, right? And you're sitting there in the wheelbarrow with Jesus, and you're like, can I, are you sure I can trust you, you know? He's like, I got it, right? This is the idea every day that John's getting at. Those who are overcomers are those who do the nesty plunge, get in the wheelbarrow with Jesus every day in every area of their life, with their marriages, with their spouse, with their future spouse, right? With their job that they hate, with finances, with the roof of your head, every area that you can think about naming in your life. Jesus is the only one I can turn to, I can trust, because God knows I can't trust myself. That was the story of Peter saying, call me to walk on the water to come see you, Jesus. And with amazing faith and trust in who God was, he did the miraculous. He got on the water and began to take steps. And his footsteps were firm, but all of a sudden the opposition, right? The big wave begins to come, and he begins to focus on self, and he begins to sink. He cries out, and Jesus saves him. Listen, I'm going to say this. Some of you tomorrow morning, you need to wake up and ask your spouse to move if they sleep in the bed with you and say, just move. I'm about to do a nesty plunge into the bed today. I'm about to fall into the bed today. And I'm going to add, and I'm going to, it's going to be a picture for me of learning how to trust Jesus. Some of you, man, you can't trust anybody. I remember I had a girl one time doing the, the, the trust fall. We're talking like literally one of those where she stands this far from me, right? And I'm going to catch her. And she's like, I can't do it, right? She's just literally weeping. She had massive trust issues. Her parents abandoned her in Venezuela back when she was a kid, right? Terrible stuff. And she had massive trust issues. You know what I made her do? I made her trust me. You've got to break free from this. You've got to trust because you're going to be bound for the rest of your life if you can't trust. Fall! And God will catch you. Now, here's the thing about trust falls. This is my, my favorite thing to do is this, and this is real this is practical. I love to catch them up high first, and the second time they do it, to catch them way down here, right? Usually that's why I get somebody real, like Josiah over here. I can catch Josiah down here. I can't get somebody bigger than me. Kevin, I couldn't do it to you, bro. But, but it's like I can take Josiah. Man, he just comes down. I catch him right here. He's, and he's going, like, I catch him. There's that, and, like, and so God, I mean, God, God doesn't, God doesn't, he catches us here, he catches us down here. He just trusts himself to catch us. That's why we struggle sometimes because, God, you're not catching me the way I expected you to catch me. And so this idea of faith in John, 1 John 5, 4 and 5, 5, those who are overcomers are those who trust. And they do it every day. In 1 John 2, 28, so verses down, it says, 
says this, now little children. I love that. He's speaking to the children. He's speaking to the fathers. He's speaking to the men. He says, now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, you may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. The picture here in the other words, in other versions, in other, in other um, versions is the word, I mean, abide in him or remain in him or live in him or continue in him. Trust from yesterday is not enough for trust to today, right? We have to live this life of, of abiding, remaining, and of living in him. This understanding that every day, every moment, everything in my life, trust of God. Because the world and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and, the, and all the pride that I'm wrestling with, I mean, it pops its head up every moment of every day. And I have to say, God, I'm not going to commend myself today. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to boast in who Christ is and not myself. And the father says, you are an overcomer, daughter. You are an overcomer. For us to be overcomers, the things we must realize are this. We must not love the world. Every day I have to be living aware of how are the, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and of boasting of self and myself, how are these things presenting themselves to me? And I cried, like literally, I cried out the other day, I said, God, give me grace, help me, bless me, pour your power into me so that I can conquer this in my life that I'm struggling, my pride, God. I can't do it in my own strength. I'm trusting you to give me strength. The second thing is we must have faith in Jesus. Do you trust him? Do you trust Jesus? Use that word trust. It makes more sense to you. Do you, do you trust Jesus? Do you trust him enough to say, ready, Jesus? Ready. Falling. Falling. Third thing is we must then fall into him every day. This means an everyday trust with the very things that we like. Listen, it's not trust if you only give him the things that you want him to control, but keep the things you like to have control over. We have to give everything over to him. And as we do this, this faith, it overcomes the world. For everyone born of God, overcomes the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. This is the victory that has overcome the world. Our faith, our trust in Jesus. Who is the one who overcomes the world? He or she who believes and trusts with everything they have every day of their life that Jesus is the Son of God. Father, we come this morning and declare that we are really, really bad at trust. Father God, we really struggle with it. We're not naturally good at it, Jesus. And we come this morning and just declare we need help. And so this morning I'm asking for revelation, Jesus, in our hearts and awareness and awakening, Father, to the reality of who you are and an awakening, Jesus, to faith in you. God, there's a gift of faith that you pour out to us. We ask for it this morning. Amen.
Well, this morning, as we always do, if you need to go, and as soon as I'm done, you're more than welcome to leave. You guys have a, have a great week. Uh, but if you'd like to stay, we'll have ministry teams available up here in the front. And whatever it may be, if you're struggling in any areas, if you feel the world creeping in, if you, if you can't say with conviction that you're an overcomer, you just want someone to come alongside of you in the moment. There'll be teams here. Let us lay hands on you, pray for you, come alongside of you. So I welcome, encourage you to do that. If you want to take communion this morning, this is an act of remembrance, right? A remembrance of the work of Christ on the cross and his body being broken and his blood being poured out. And so this morning, if you want to just come and celebrate that reality this morning, then come and do that. Don't forget to sign up for the financial seminar this morning. You guys have a great week. We love you, and we'll see you soon.